0: episode of the Huntington Wiffle League Podcast Hot Stove Edition. I'm your host Josh Smith and if you're tired of hot stove episodes you're in luck because this is going to be our final one of the 2023 season. As I'm recording this right now it is April the 1st. Our season begins on April the 29th. Now I'm not sure if I'm going to get this episode edited and posted today but it's definitely going to be sometime during the first week of April. But the season is coming and it's coming soon and our last hot stove episode was released way back in early january so we have a lot to catch up on in like acquisition and player news as well as spring training beginning and we'll get you all the way caught up with more of a comprehensive hot stove catch up here when we come back from this break couple of months since our last episode and I am hosting this one by myself so I do not have the good fortune of having co-hosts or guests to help me deliver any updated news personally here so I think what would help so that people aren't having to dig through all the hot stove episodes of old I think it would be good to just have a comprehensive uh, update here from the beginning all the way to the most recent news and then kind of go over The other non-player transaction related news to get everybody caught up to now as we look ahead to the season starting later this month. So kind of starting from the very beginning, the genesis of the hot stove lighting, the pilot lighting, if you will, would be all the way back to October, middle of October when we announced the league was returning officially and we had four teams start. Myself, Josh, I was declared manager of the Charleston Yellow Sox. This was on the 18th of October, that same day. The three other franchises were also founded. Greg Sowards, the manager of the Hurricane Locomotives, Kevin Chatton to manage the Milton Mudcats, and then Jeremy Ray to manage the Polka Great Aunt Pearls. Really no other news going on until the 1st of December when the league front office announced that we would be contracting Kevin Chatton's team, the Milton Mudcats, because there was really no activity going on with that team. Now, just after Christmas, the Charleston Yellow Sox announced that they had signed Anthony Stidham to the roster as one of their relief pitchers and an outfielder known as a stud, obviously, at the plate. So no real mystery there for why they signed him to the team. This is somebody that Josh, myself, had played with in the past back in 2016 on Make Wolf Football Great Again. Really no surprise to to sign that player to the team. The following day, Paul Hessen was announced to be starting a franchise for a team named to be announced to fill out that fourth spot where the Milton Mudcats team had kind of collapsed. So things had kind of, you know, bounced back out into that spot. The following day, on the 28th of December, Kevin Chatton, formerly the manager of the the, uh, Milton Mudcats, had been signed as a starting pitcher for the Hurricane Locomotives. So things were starting to look more promising for the Locomotives at that point. Now the following day, on the 29th, the Polka Great Ant Pearls announced their first team si- uh, <clears throat> player signing in Brian Ball, which was one of the uh, definitely the biggest signing of the first round from the hot stove for anybody that listens to that first episode. And that was pretty much all that happened before the new year. We really wouldn't hear anything until January the 2nd when the Yellow Sox signed another player in Rick Patterson. This is somebody, again, that I played with in the past all the way back in 2015 on Chicken and Wiffles. This is somebody not really known for their pitching, but this is somebody who has pitched in the past. A little known fact is he had thrown a perfect game during the slow pitch season in 2016 versus Beaver Fever. But he's known more as somebody who's good to have in a clubhouse and really good at the plate. Uh, The next day on January 3rd, the Hurricane Locomotives announced that they were signing Mikey Saxton, somebody that Greg is long known to be tied to. He's a stepson, but he's played uh, definitely all but maybe a couple years of his HWL career with Mikey Saxton. And then on the 4th of January, the Polka Great Aunt Pearls announced that they were signing Wyatt Zuspin as another pitcher to the rotation, which was uh, somebody that's a former mock man, not really known to be a pitcher due to Bryce Clark sort of taking advantage of not having any rotation rules in the latter uh, part of the HWL. Uh, whatever you want to call what we were doing uh, before our hiatus there. And he's somebody who is really wanting to dabble a lot more into pitching. And Jeremy Ray took advantage of that in signing him. Now, on January 6th, the uh, Charleston Yellow Sox signed Stephen Atkins, somebody for the rotation. But this is somebody who carries a big bat as well. So this is a huge get for the Yellow Sox. And then later on in January, on the 9th, the Poke Great Ant Pearls, to no one's surprise sign, Andrew Westcott, this is a big sign, this is somebody who has won just about every batting offensive award that you can have, and this is someone who is the undisputed home run king of our league, so I don't really, this is the only person in our league to have hidden triple digits amount worth of home runs, I think he has like 109 home runs or something like that, career in our league, so uh, and this is somebody who was voted into the Hall of Fame with Jeremy. So I'm not surprised whatsoever that this is somebody that he signed to the team. Now, four days later, I believe it was on the 12th, the Hurricane locomotives assigned that they were uh, announced that they signed Big Mike McCoy to the team. Somebody primarily known for their hitting, uh, not really for fielding, but somebody as a relief pitcher in a pinch as well. So. But not really known for their their utility abilities. He's primarily an offensive player. Uh, But we'll kind of have some more news on that later. And then a few days later, this was... uh, That was pretty much the... I think middle of January was when we also had released our most recent episode of the podcast for the Hot Stove. And that that was the last known information. Paul had not yet named his team (laughs) or announced any players added to the roster or anything like that. Fortunately, there has been some news since that time, and I'm getting ready to go over that now. So I believe it was two or three days after the podcast had come out (laughs) when one news started coming out here. So let's get into it. So January the 15th, uh, Paul Hessen had announced that his team, which had still not had a name <laughs> at that point, had their first signing uh, in Ethan Cantrell. I will warn, he has four players total, including himself on this team. I only know one of them outside of Paul. So half of the team are unknowns. Now, this is something he's done before, I will say, uh, back in 2015 when he started the Asthmatic Squad. He ended up having a Rookie of the Year on that team. And I believe they finished in, in the top half of the standings. So don't sleep on them just because of that. If anything, that gives them an advantage because nobody knows what to expect <laughs> from the team. But uh, the next day, he has, he announced that he was signing another player named Hunter Smith. Now, I am from the Charleston area, not Huntington. And Paul is from the Barbersville-Huntington area. So I don't know if these are people that have any you know former athletic prowess Uh, in the school system coming up Paul's also younger than me so if anybody knows anything from from these two players let me know but I don't know anything about these people Uh, and then at the end of January January 30th to be precise Paul finally announced the name of his team as the Huntington Aces now anybody that knows anything about minor league baseball In the area here, the Huntington Aces was one of the many, literally one of the myriad of team names that the uh, Huntington Ball Club went through when they were an affiliate of the Cubs in the early 20th century, uh, which I think was a nice uh, homage to kind of pay because I think that that's one of the things we're really trying to go for. Uh, Definitely what I had in mind uh, as we're trying to associate each team to really be more of a club and to associate their uh, identity with, with their town or their city or whatever, I, I think he kind of hit that, that nail on the head specifically here. I, I haven't seen a design. I don't know if they're going to go more with, like, a card situation or, like, a flying ace situation. So uh, Paul always pleases uh, with, with the design stuff, so I'm really curious to see what he comes up with here. Now, uh, he pretty much dominated what, what I would call... I guess that third round (laughs) uh, in January because there really wasn't much else news going on in January at that point. Now, February, uh, things really got off with a bang there. Bryce Clark signed with the Hurricane Locomotives. Now, I don't think I have to tell anyone. Bryce Clark is probably the best player to come out of the, the HWL outside of maybe two different players. Jeremy Ray... And possibly Drew McClanahan, but he's definitely the best modern style wiffle ball player to come out of West Virginia. I don't. I don't think anybody can really argue that he plays in Mid Atlantic Wiffle. He plays in U He played in NWA. He plays in our league, which is in no comparison of those three or four mentioned things I just went over. So he's just somebody who who has the goods. And he enjoys playing. And if, if you have a tournament on this side of the Mississippi and possibly on the other side as well, he's probably going to be there at some point. He loves wiffle ball. So I was excited to see him sign to a team, especially a team in need. The Great Aunt Pearls is really uh, a conglomerate. <laughs> it, it's basically looking like Sitomai Base just by a different name. Uh, I'm glad that there is a, a name uh, kind of being associated on that team that uh, I, I don't know who that person is. Uh, I don't have the name of them actually uh, on this list so far, but it's somebody that uh, I believe Jeremy had coached with in the past. But uh, everybody else on that team, they have played for sit base at some point or another. So they've been proven and, and battle tested and, and held a trophy at some point, be it second place or Uh, or or higher so that that team has got the good so it they've really got a target on their back at this point so um, Paul's really got his work cut out for him to assemble a team from nothing here he looks like he's off to a good start and I'll get more into that later but Greg he's got big Mike McCoy and Mikey Saxton and then Kevin Chatton a former sit-on-my-base player as well so he's got a good foundation for the team but signing Bryce Clark an absolute stud on both sides uh, of the field, which is amazing, somebody with leadership uh, experience as well, and somebody that has a lot of drive and, and want to win. That that is an essential sign for this team, and I think that really took them from potentially what I think everybody would have thought would have been maybe a basement prediction to a real contender. So signing Bryce Clark really huge, and I think that the the MAW schedule that he had and our schedule for for the league, they're going to be pretty compatible. So. I think that he should be showing up to to many to much of the of the scheduled events for HWL, so that's going to be huge. Now, the following day on February second, the Huntington Aces acquired Jacob Dunkel. This is the only other player on this team that I know <laughs> besides the manager uh, Paul Hessen. Dunkel is probably, I would say, outside of Josiah Chapman and Andrew Westcott, the furthest hitting uh, batter in our league. He probably has the one of the fastest bat speeds, definitely in the top five in our league all time. This guy absolutely crushes the ball. Uh, and, and I would put Paul probably in that top five as well. So this is somebody that he's also a great fielder as well. So Paul, normally, uh, he's all over the place. He's somebody that's tall, lanky, and very reactive in the backfield. But he's also going to be probably this team's ace. So he really needs somebody very proactive uh, and, and somebody who is a golden glove in, in the outfield there, and this is, this is the one. Jacob Dunkel is probably second only to to probably Brian Ball uh, in in terms of fielding ability here. So my only thing about Dunkel is he can be a bit streaky. So sometimes uh, if he makes a mistake or something like that, he sort of psychs himself up or out of the game. But he can catch fire just as easily. So he's somebody who uh, is a bit more. He feels more uh, in the game than some others, so he could be a little more uh, sensitive to that. But it, it, you you fan the Flames in the right direction there. and You have him on a good team. I think that's a big thing, too. I, I've seen him struggle more on teams that aren't good <laughs> and do well on teams that are very good. I think there's a difference between watching him struggle on a team like hmm, 2014's Will Whiffle versus 2015's Sit on My Base. If he's on a team that has a lot more uh, chemistry or uh, run support and things like that, I I think he tends to do a lot better. And really, I don't think that's really a a, a unique trait, but it it is something that he seems to be a lot more in tune to. So Paul is definitely a a very offensive player, somebody who doesn't need a lot of support (laughs) on the mound. Uh, I don't know anything about these other two players he signed, I hope, some of them pitch because Dunkel... Uh, one thing, he he's not a pitcher. Now, he's a great guy to gun somebody down who's running around. Uh, I've seen him pick somebody off trying to go from third to home from center field. So he's amazingly accurate as far as that's concerned. But he's, I don't know what it is. He's just not been able to make that transition as a pitcher. I wait to see that one of these days. But is 2023 going to be <laughs> when that happens? I doubt it. But this year is going to be... A lot of first, so we'll see. But I was really excited to see that Jacob Dunkel is going to be joining us this year, especially on that team. That this, this, The Huntington Aces are going to be a, a really interesting squad to watch. And I think the signing is, is definitely going to make that one of the reasons for that. So there really was nothing else going on in February. That was that was it. And then on March the 2nd, the Charleston Yellow Sox filled out their roster um, once the um, I will say once things kind of like looked like they were materializing with the Huntington Aces prior to this point, uh, we, we had capped our rosters at five so that nobody got too far ahead uh, of anybody else in terms of roster building. But once the Huntington Aces finally started releasing some names, they got up to four players, they named their team and everybody else had already had four or five players, we said, okay, well, let's go ahead and uh, allow everyone to bump their roster max up to six. And once that had occurred, that was, I think, around Valentine's Day. The Charleston Yellow Sox have been, so far that I'm aware, the, the first team to max out their roster at this new uh, sixth spot by signing Patrick Rail, the former uh, commissioner and Hall of Fame. Uh, he was elected uh, into the second class. Uh, hall of fame there he's going to be an outfielder and potential relief pitcher known more for his accuracy than any of his speed or junk or anything so um, myself I'm not really known so much uh, for the accuracy more for the junk so if we're in a jam and we just need somebody who can hit that freaking zone I- I've got a guy <laughs> uh, who can do it so and then on really the last bit of Player news, anyway, so far, is unfortunately uh, on a somber note. Uh, Nothing too sad. Nobody died or anything. But it is injury-related. If you look historically in our hot stove news, it goes from 2014 to 2015, and we didn't really do anything with the hot stove tracker beyond that point. But you'll know it's color-coordinated. Green means somebody's been signed. Red means somebody's been released or traded And then, unfortunately, yellow means there's been an injury update. So, unfortunately, you are going to see that on St. Patrick's Day, there was an announcement from the Hurricane Locomotives that is highlighted in yellow, and it's to do with their star player, Mike McCoy. I don't want to go into too many details here. It's not Wiffle-related or or sports-related or anything like that, Uh, but uh, he may be out for much of the season, hopefully not all of the season, but... He is battling a uh, something for, uh, remaining from pneumonia that he suffered earlier, uh, I believe, either earlier in March or late uh, February, and it's really knocked him out. I had walking pneumonia in college, which is not <laughs> nearly as serious as uh, what he uh, had, so and that really took me some time to recover, and I was a much younger person uh, versus what I am now, so I can only imagine. Uh, what it would be like to, to deal with that now uh, in my 30s. So, uh, Mike, if you're listening, buddy, I hope you feel better soon, and we hope to see you on the field at some point this year. But that that is a obviously a big hit uh, for, for the team uh, and the morale. So they really need uh, – they haven't filled out their roster as it is. I mean, as it stands now, they have their manager, Greg. They have Mikey Saxton. They have Kevin Chatton, and they have Bryce Clark, but they still need to fill out two more spots on the roster, and they really need somebody else who can hit the ball really hard. When you looked at the potential of this roster, had Mike McCoy uh, not—I don't really—it doesn't feel necessarily accurate to say that this is injured, <laughs> but it's—it's uh, it's, uh, you know he's he's not going to be playing uh, at least on opening day from the looks of it here, and and our next. Uh, uh, Set of schedule games are going to be on May the 27th, and it's hard to say if he's going to be able to play at that point as well. But when you looked at the possibility of having somebody with his caliber of power and having somebody like Bryce Clark in the lineup as well, I mean, and then somebody with the consistency of Kevin Chatton and then Greg Sowards, you know, with his slap power capabilities with, with Mikey Saxton. Um, really the only thing you needed was the pitching, and you have that in Bryce Clark. And then just with the uh, strategic uh, pot- possibilities that, that Greg brings to the table, this was a team that <laughs> uh, really had a lot going on here. So being that they still have their sixth spot open, uh, depending on if the, – there's really a big X factor here to consider when you're looking at the locomotives. Is, is Mike McCoy out for the year, or how long is Mike out? Because that, that's one thing that's unclear so far based on this news is if he's just out for the year they're gonna to need to find somebody that that can carry a big bat uh, that can hit some long balls that's going to be huge uh, there were talks with Justin fairman but he is, his there's a lot of scheduling conflicts I think he would only be able to make uh, one set of games now there may be like a, a waiver deal or something like that that uh, may be in the works here that uh, may be able to be arranged. But uh, that, that's not the solution. <laughs> so if anybody out there is looking for a team, the Hurricane Locomotives have two spots open uh, for sure. But uh, one of those spots is kind of that extra sixth spot. But there's a fifth spot that really needs to be filled uh, on, on this team here. And uh, if Mike is, is healthy uh, and, and able to play, uh, probably at least... Uh, starting May, that that's going to be uh, putting the wind back in the sails of this team, most definitely, especially in the offense side. Now, that is the news so far. I, I, I do realize now that I'm remembering the name <laughs> of the uh, the other player that's going to be playing for the, the Great Aunt Pearls. I believe his name is Jason Eaches. I don't know anything about him other than he has coached volleyball with Jeremy Ray. So I, I believe that... Uh, th- that, that's pretty much the extent <laughs> of the nature of their relationship. I don't know if he pitches. I don't know if he hits. I don't know if he fields. I don't know if he has an eye patch or is part cyborg or anything. I don't know anything about the guy. But that is the most up-to-date news that we have. That gets us through middle of March. Uh, Paul's team, the Huntington Aces, still have two more spots to fill out on their team, as does the Hurricane Locomotives. The Charleston Yellow Sox has filled out their roster, and I believe the Great Aunt Pearls, if they have any spots left on their roster, it's only one. So every team is getting close to filling out their rosters completely. If there are any other updates concerning filling out rosters, there's not going to be any more hot stove episodes concerning that as far as player transactions or anything like that. That's going to be updated onto our Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or all those things. So keep your eyes peeled for that. I'm going to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to be going over spring training. We had our very first spring training session last Sunday, and we have another session of spring training coming up this Sunday. When I come back from a break here, we're going to be talking about some of the new rules that are coming into play and some of the experimentation that we've been doing with that in spring training and how well that's going. It's perfect anarchy and mayhem that uh we needed (laughs) so we'll be going into that when we come back from the spring Recording this, which is on April the first. Last Sunday was March the 26th, and this was our first session of spring training for this season. And we all gathered at St. Cloud Commons, which kind of leads me into my first thing that I want to go over into this part of the podcast, which is we're returning to St. Cloud Commons. This will be our first time playing there since 2015. For those who may be newer to the league or those who don't know, uh just in general. That was where we first got our start for the Huntington Wiffle League. From twenty twelve through twenty fifteen, we played at the St. Cloud Commons in West Huntington, West Virginia. And other than that, we didn't play there except for uh, I believe in twenty I wanna say seventeen and maybe twenty eighteen, we did the Hallow Wiffle tournaments there. Other than that, we played at Miller Park from twenty fifteen until twenty eighteen. And that was it. We did that in the Beverly Hills neighborhood of South Huntington. So it's more of a return to our roots, if you want to say, uh, to scarier roots, uh, <laughs> uh, albeit. But uh, we're going back to West Huntington, uh, to St. Cloud Commons, We played in an area that uh, I'm not really sure what to call it. I call it the pit, uh, where the parking lot is. There's sort of this drop-off. But from that parking lot, you can see all the softball fields. But there's this grass open space right below that drop-off. Uh, in front of uh, field two that is where we've been hanging out and and just playing uh, these spring training sessions here field number three is actually where our season is going to be taking place right now the there is a youth softball league going on until april 27th and then no one is playing there it's just us now the very first hot stove episode if you do recall there was sort of a handful of quirky rules that some people probably weren't Really un- understanding of what we're trying to get at, or maybe hot or cold towards it all. But the major league baseball season has began, and <laughs> I think the rules that I was putting forth here are sort of paling by comparison <laughs> uh, to, to what we're seeing transpire there. So, but uh, we're getting a chance to really experiment with these and see them, you know, live. And because I would rather do that now versus in the season. <laughs> I think we can all agree that, that that's a better way to experiment with this versus you know, in a way that you can't take it back. So I think the big one that uh nobody really knew <laughs> what to expect, including myself, was the Steals situation. So just a refresher is each team has the ability to utilize two steals per game and you can steal any base except first, obviously, or home. So you can steal second base or third base you can steal them you know consecutively so you can steal second base at you know and and during one pitch and then the next pitch you can steal uh third base if you like so as a refresher so that you're not having to listen to our entire catalog of podcasts here's how it goes so this is less complicated than than how it's going to sound (laughs) but essentially if you can imagine with me we're, we're playing you and i the listener and me we are we are playing against a a different team so the the we are an offense here and you're on first base wanting to steal second and i am hitting and then the pitcher we're just going to say it's bob for the sake of me not having to say the pitcher 50 times here is on the mound now In order for you to steal second base, you're going to have to declare your intent to steal in order to do that. But there is a timing factor for that to happen. Not a clock thing or anything like that. Uh, And then, I'm not going to be able to swing when that happens. And it's going to make sense here in a moment. So, essentially, the the pass-fail of whether or not you're going to be awarded that base is going to be contingent upon... If that pitcher is able to hit the strike zone or not, and then by me not being able to swing that bat, it's really going to be a test of their accuracy. Uh, it's a sort of a dartboard game, <laughs> more of a bet uh, for you, the base runner, sort of daring them to hit that board. And if they don't, your reward is the next base. However, if they do hit that, you're you're out. That's a, that's sort of the you know that equates to the catcher throwing you out. That's sort of how that works there. But uh, let's say. You know, to keep everything easy, there's there's no outs. It's a zero zero count. You're on first base. I'm up to bat. The, but the only time that you can declare your intent to steal is when they're in the process of winding up. So they need to have that front foot up, and then you would say steal, and it needs to be loud enough for them to hear it. At that point, I am no longer allowed to swing the bat. Now, if I do, it's an automatic strike. You're you're out. At that point, no matter what, even if it hits the zone, if it doesn't hit the zone. Um, So if, when you declare steal, it needs to be loud enough for at least the pitcher and the batter to heal, to hear that. So don't just go steal, you know, actually say it like you mean it, (laughs) Put put some cojones behind it when when you say it. So that, you know, Peyton Manning blue 42 style, really think about it. Okay. So I think that's going to be the only thing that's going to make this complicated is you're going to have somebody who's just... They don't know how to use their outside voice. And if that's a situation, just don't even bother, okay? So um, that needs to be loud enough for both at least the pitcher and the hitter to hear. And those are going to be the people that are going to be... you know Because of the Doppler effect, those are going to be the people that are going to be probably... Because you're facing the diamond, who gives a shit if the outfielders hear it? It doesn't matter, so... <laughs> Uh, they're probably not going to be within your shot at that. Moving on. So they need to be in the process of, you know, pitching the ball for that to matter. If you say it, you know, before they pitch the ball, then obviously they, they, the jig is up. They're going to know what's going on. So you need to say that while they're in the process of in the motion of pitching the ball. And as I said, me, the batter at this point, I'm sort of handcuffed. I'm no longer permitted to swing the bat at this point. It's This is a battle of, <laughs> sad to say, pitcher versus strike zone. <laughs> a, a game of catch. Now, a, 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 somebody who's really accurate, you know, that's not really that big of a deal. But for those of us who struggle, this is probably going to be not that great. Uh, so I think if you have zero confidence that this pitcher can hit the strike zone, this is going to be helpful. Uh, and some of these games can be stalemates. this is a great way to kind of like break it up a bit. So now this pitcher, once he releases that ball and if it doesn't hit the strike zone, congratulations you you've you've reached second base, okay now if the opposite happens and he hits you know the the strike zone, you're you're out at that point. and now we have nobody on base <laughs> and uh, it- it's an out and I have a strike. At that point, like the, the ball strike ratio doesn't count, but uh, some something else too, in, in this particular situation, if, if you'll notice in our league, we have the first pitch strikeout. So being that I didn't swing, that would actually be a double play in that situation. So my personal advice would probably not be going for that on the first pitch, unless you're just like this guy, he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. So something to consider. Uh, every, every action kind of has a reaction and a little bit of a, you know, (laughs) a bet to it, but, uh, we did experiment with that a lot. It went really well. Uh, if you swing the bat, uh, during this, it's just, that's a strike and it's an out, you know, so period, there's just no way out of that at all. So that, that runner's out. I don't care if you hit the ball, you know, over the fence, it's like, that's a strike for you and that runner's out. So just don't be swinging that bat. But I think uh, one thing that I saw opportunity-wise as far as its use in spring training by the teams was uh, no communication really between the, the batters and the, the base runners. So I think there's going to have to be <laughs> – there's normally a pretty fi- uh, a very well-defined line between what we do in wiffle and what we have done in baseball. And one thing we don't do is signs. I think there's going to have to be some nonverbal communication to sort of express the intent uh, of some strategy of like, hey, I think we need to steal here. Uh, you know, some things that we've we've sort of like gotten out of the habit of doing from not playing that way anymore. And I think that's going to be pretty, pretty advantageous into the future. So I think there's going to be... It's going to be pretty funny to kind of see <laughs> uh, the development of that. I think it's going to be awesome. Uh, it can be... I, one thing I... When I first introduced this, I thought it would be helpful in the latter half of some games to kind of break some stalemates, but I could see this being used a lot in the opening innings of some games to try to get up because really, no matter what format we played, slow pitch, medium pitch, fast pitch, those who get up early in a game, it's really hard to overcome that. So if you can get that extra run or two by getting some uh, players in scoring position to, to bring them in and using the steals to do that, that's a great way to do that. However, you only get to do it twice. So if you're you're playing against a pitcher who's doing well, but they're going they're having sort of a, a a rough bit there, or it's really windy, hey, something to consider. So we're introducing, however small, a little bit of small ball to this. Kind of talked a lot about the steals thing. So uh, and then something else is we have the uh, foul offs. So uh, historically in our league, if you foul five times in the same at bat, that's That's the same as a strikeout. We've lowered that to three. I don't think that happened a single time. (laughs) So fouls just don't happen that much here because normally the ball is being put into play or people are striking out. It's one or the other. So, but uh, it's nice to have, I don't like battles and things like that. Anything that's lengthening the game, I'm not into it. Something else too is the fact that uh, we dropped the, amount of outs per side i think this is going to have a tremendous impact as far as the pace of play is we played in the past three outs on each side we've dropped it to two this made the games way faster between this and then just the the fact that stealing can happen it makes the games just like uh way more interesting and a little bit of an anarchy factor (laughs) uh and and then the fact that uh, you don't have anything that can make it we have some things that could make the game mundane that we're sort of like paring down on like foul outs and things like that. Uh, The amount of fouls that you can have. uh, It it was really pleasing to see that, you know, the the amount of time of a game, I think it's going to go down because I think the average time that a game has been in the past is probably somewhere between mm, 50 minutes and an hour and 10 minutes. And I think we could probably get that down uh, to maybe closer to 40 minutes if we play our cards right so uh and that's going to really be helpful because our schedule we're we're playing sort of like in the majors we're playing a four game series against the same opponent except we're not spreading that out (laughs) over days we're doing that all at the same time in the same uh, morning or afternoon so we've got to find a way to step this up and uh no one's eating uh, peanuts or cracker jacks or anything like that so we all have things to do um you know, outside of playing this, so let's not make this all day. So I, I think it was a good thing. The steals thing, I think it's going to be awesome. I, uh, I don't really know what to expect as, uh, as far as who's going to do it the most or why. I think it's just going to be more of a pressure on somebody who's just not being very accurate on the mound. <laughs> or it's going to be used in, in situations where you have two teams that are really jockeying for position uh, or come playoff time. I think all bets are going to be off. So uh, now do we have somebody who's just going to steal every chance they get like a Ricky Henderson or something like that? I don't know. Um, Nobody like straight up like sprinted to second or third base. (laughs) I'd love to see it, but uh, not. We only had like six players show up for the the first session of spring training. So uh, this Sunday, April the 2nd, we have our next session of, of spring training. And I'm hoping to see... More players there from teams like the Yellow Sox, uh, the Aces, and uh, definitely um, you know the Great Aunt Pearls as well. But uh, so far, we we've, we've only the most players we've had show up for are from the Locomotives uh, thus far. Now, as far as the season schedule goes, we have five different sets of games that are happening, and each team is going to be playing. As I said before, four times they have a four-game series each week that they come, and it starts on April the 29th, and then we come back on May the 22nd. June is the only time we play twice in the same month, and it's um, in, in two consecutive weeks. It's June the 10th and June the 17th, and then we return on July the 8th to wrap up the season. After that, we come back at the end of July on the 29th for playoffs. So, it's five different sets of games that we're playing, four four games each time. So that's a 20-game regular season plus playoffs. Now, the playoffs, we originally thought that we were going to do some sort of a series or something like that. I think we're still trying to tinker uh, with how we're going to do that because, I mean, we are doing series all, <laughs> all season long. Um, but also, we sort of want to give everybody a chance to, to get to... Uh, the the championship at this point, and we want to give everybody a fair shot. So I think there may be a play-in game and then maybe a uh, short series of some kind, like a three-game series, uh, like an odd game uh, amount of series uh, for, for the overall championship there. We're going to get a trophy and all these different things like we, we have in the past um, to, you know, make it worth the while. So no All-Star game or anything like that. We're, we're really just wanting to get things back to basics i mean 2018 i think we did a really good job i think we had you know our our heads in the right place but there was still a lot of burnout (laughs) from the the two prior seasons and we're rested up but it i think we need to keep our you know our nose to the grindstone here to make sure that we we stay in our lane and we we do everything correctly here so i I think the mission is clear let's focus on the season let's wrap up with the playoffs Let's make sure we, we, we do everything correctly here and all the extracurriculars can wait. Amy Frafka will be right at, right around the corner uh, in, in August. Uh, you know, There's MAW events, there's NWA, UIFs, all these different things. So if there's other stuff that people want to go do, uh, the schedule should permit for that to happen as I see it um, and how we made it. Now, I'm going to take a break again. When we come back, I'll have some predictions, uh, some bolder than others for the season, and then we'll be wrapping up. stove episode in the books and finally put the preseason behind us and the actual season <laughs> uh, ahead of us here finally uh, i'm so excited I, I can't tell you i mean it's it's the four longest years but uh, before we get it all that behind us I, I wanted to go into my my last segment here which is into my prediction segment there's so much that i could go and, and, and try to predict about but i really wanted to stick into three things. There's two major awards that are always coveted, the Cy Whiffle and the Home Run King. And so I wanted to talk about those two. And then the first recipient of who's going to be the Manager of the Year award, we may end up doing some of those in post from years past because we have had some doozies of captains and managers over the years. But uh, to to recap, I want to go over who I predict may win this year's Cy Whiffle, Home Run King, and Manager of the Year before I go today. So Cy Whiffle is always <laughs> an, an interesting one because there, there's so much to, to factor into that. In fact, watching some you know analysts trying to figure out who's going to be the Cy Young winner in MLB, either on the AL or NL side, there, there's always a lot to factor. There's wins. ERA, whip, and all these different things. And we always take a look at that. But ever since we moved to the medium pitch, <laughs> some of these things are really hard to take into fa- uh, to account because ERA just goes right out the window uh, in a lot of cases. Even with a good defense, you're, you're going to be giving up a fair amount of hits and home runs. So that's just part of it. Um, the fact that we're going to be bringing um, rotation rules back into effect here, that's going to play a big role. So everyone's going to be playing more on, a, on an even playing field, I think. You can only pitch basically every other game. So most of the pitchers you are going to be in contention for this award are going to be pitching, I I think, more or less the same amount of games, roughly. So I, I, this could be probably since like 2014 or 2015, some of the most even playing field that it's been since that time for, for such an award. But as far as who I think of the players that we have right now in the running that I know are going to be playing and probably making a a run for it. I I would say Jeremy Ray is always a safe bet (laughs) for this award. He's won it uh, once or twice in the past. He is uh, somebody who always has dominant control over the ball. He has markedly lost a lot of speed off of the ball, but we're in medium pitch now. So it's really all about junk and control. And this is something that he's always had command over so really I don't think he's going to struggle at at all this year except for in the ways that we all are going to probably initially just getting back in the saddle so that's somebody I would I have my eye on Paul Hesson's another one that I'm I'm keeping my eye on as well as Wyatt Zussman just be just because Bryce Clark says look out for this Wyatt Zussman guy (laughs) and I've learned to listen to Bryce in, in terms of this Bryce I don't know how much He's going to be playing. My understanding is he's probably going to be playing about 75% of the year. But is that going to be enough? If somebody like Jeremy Ray or Paul Heson going to be playing 100% of the year. So Bryce Clark is somebody else that's probably going to be in the running. And if he plays all year, that's somebody else I can expect as well. But Bryce always relied more on speed to overpower versus... Uh, he's got junk. Don't get me wrong. But uh, he, he typically relies on, some of his junk relies on speed for that movement, and there's a lot more finesse involved in medium pitch. So I don't know. My, my gut tells me Jeremy Ray, but this, this I don't think precedent's always going to be the, the standard here. So those, those are the names that come to mind uh, off of the top of my head. Those are all players not on my team. Uh, As far as my team goes, I'm going to be probably the primary pitcher, but uh, Stephen Atkins is somebody else as well. He's actually warming up and, you know, training his arm now. He's somebody who who may end up being in the running for something like Strikeout King or something like that, but uh, historically he's not had the command as far as accuracy to probably have a high whip, you know, because he'll he'll probably have a lot of uh, walks uh, compared to some of his peers that'll be in the running for this award, but... Uh, if he gets command over the ball as far as the accuracy goes, he certainly is somebody who could go deep uh, in on this. But uh, out of all these names that, I, that I've mentioned here, I would say Jeremy Ray is probably the one that I would predict today to, to probably take that piece of that particular piece uh, of hardware home. My, my second guess would probably be someone like Paul Hessen. Hesson's also somebody that has struggled historically with accuracy, but he does get streaky, and uh, he looked pretty good at spring training so far. So um, he's also somebody who's never won that award, so it would be pretty amazing to see uh, somebody else um, take take that award, especially from Jeremy, uh, because I think he's our, our reigning Cy Young at this time. Now, the home run king, our reigning home run king, and home run king for quite some time now, is Andrew Westcott, and with the if you'll recall the news I had earlier in this episode Mike McCoy being out for at least some of this season that was really at least the immediate threat for somebody to take that crown this year but Stephen Atkins is, is playing this year and he is somebody who went deep in, in 2014 and 2015 in the home run standings but uh, you know and that was during the fast pitch year so oddly enough Westcott did not hit as many home runs in the slow pitch era compared to his fast pitch stats. So um, he's sort of in the middle. He was consistent with his home run hitting during medium pitch in 2018. So it's kind of hard to say how things are going to pan out. We've not really had enough consistent player base. But we have some players returning that tend to perform really well at the plate like Anthony Stidham, Rick Patterson. Paul Hessen especially that guy hits a ton of home runs he'll probably have at least 20 home runs this year um so I don't know it's always a safe bet to to say somebody like Andrew Westcott that's the low-hanging fruit but uh Paul Hessen uh, Anthony Stidham Stephen Atkins I mean the Charleston Yellow Sox are full of sluggers <laughs> on, on the team clearly Bryce Clark is, is another he's known primarily as a pitcher but he obviously hits the ball very well. Jeremy Ray hits the ball uh, well for average and for hits overall, but he hits a lot of home runs too. Uh, but Brian Ball also uh, on the Great Ant Pearls hits a significant amount of home runs, but compared to Westcott, I mean, it's just, he, he he's the reigning home run king uh, by, by a large margin there. But as far as who can make make a challenge for that title i I would say probably steven atkins uh so far of the people i've mentioned and paul hesson perhaps anthony stidham uh as well if he plays enough uh and and stays healthy and gets gets the right pitches is the thing that that is a guy during slow pitch i'd put him against anybody during medium pitch uh that that was the weird thing i I expected medium pitch for people to for the numbers to stay relatively (laughs) Uh, similar to how they did in slow pitch, and it was interesting to see that they did not. Some of the power hitters that uh, that just exploded during slow pitch, they sort of lacked productivity in 2018. So it's going to be kind of strange to see how that turns out. So my gut tells me that Andrew Westcott's probably going to hold on to that crown, but I think that there is a, an upper echelon of players, between uh, mostly on the Yellow Sox uh, or the Great Aunt Pearls, which uh, Westcott plays on that uh, are going to be probably fighting for that crown as well i think as far as uh, i believe it's the golden slugger that's rbi i think they're all going to be hurting themselves on there because they're all going to be probably driving in runs uh, and, and sort of uh cannibalizing the ability to uh set them up and knock them down whereas uh if he were on a different team to probably load up the bases so that he could bring them in you know what i mean so that, that that's kind of a thing but Home Run King sort of supersedes <laughs> some of those lesser awards, so uh, it's all glory. And then that kind of takes me to the Manager of the Year award, something we've never had before. In our former uh, league, we had that, but you know, it, it wasn't as serious of a league. We have, you know, four four managers right now, myself included, Paul Hessen, Greg Sowards, and Jeremy Ray. Uh, in my opinion, I think Greg Sowards is probably the most storied manager or captain, whatever you want to call him. And then we have a lot of former captains and managers that are playing on some of these teams, people like Patrick Rail, uh, Bryce Clark, Kevin and So it's kind of a miracle only that could have been possible due to the extreme contraction that we've <laughs> been able to do based on this year's format. But um, I don't know, being that the... It's still too early to tell for me in this case. I, I've i seen Greg pull off some things that <laughs> I would have never thought possible. I mean, the the very first year's uh, Beaver Fever team from the inaugural season in 2012, they won a championship with that team. And then in 2015 with Wifflin Dixie, that was a team we all predicted to finish dead last, and they finished with a 500 record right in the middle of the pack. So don't sleep on Greg. That That is a guy who he's always kind of sitting off to the side, sort of whispering in somebody's ear. If you're ever playing somewhere and he's willing to offer you a piece of advice, you better listen to him because that, that is probably the Sun Tzu of wiffle ball if there ever was one. That That is a man that totally understands the game. He's not a student of the game. He is a philosopher of the game, to be clear. Uh, Jeremy Ray, he has built probably more super teams than anybody else in recreational wiffle ball. <laughs> I can say, at least in West Virginia or the tri state or the Ohio Valley, I can say that with confidence. So it, it, it kind of just depends on what do you mean by manager of the year? Somebody who can build a successful team or somebody who can do a lot with little? You know, so I mean, somebody, when you look at somebody like Greg Sowers versus Jeremy Ray, uh, you know, somebody like Jeremy Ray can succeed with, you know, building really successful teams, but someone like Greg can, you know, do a lot with not blue chip talent so I mean you have two different entirely different schools uh, of thought in terms of management but really good managers all the same Uh, me I'm more of a clubhouse kind of guy I I like to just have really good morale and just (laughs) let the magic happen on its own and and that's pretty much it and and then yep Paul Hessen this is a guy who's really good at just conjuring up just people out of thin air that we don't know Literally half his team so far, people that we do not know. Uh, And he's done that before, as I said, in 2015 with the Asthmatics. And he put together a solid squad, including uh, one rookie of the year in Veronica Stanley, probably one of the best rookies we've ever had in the league. And then uh, the rest of the team was a blast to watch. So, I mean, you had like Jonathan Maxwell, Samaya Seanree, Josiah Chapman as well. So really good squad uh, he's really good at building teams and, and leading them as well. So he's just a really good team builder, Unless we forget what he did in 2014 with the Honey Badgers. He took a team that was essentially broken uh, during the middle of that season and then took them all the way to the championship. So I think anybody that <laughs> follows Paul at all uh, should heed what he's capable of when his back is against the wall. So we have four uh, tested uh, tried and true uh, captains managers whatever you want to call them I think the results will speak for themselves as we sort of watch things unfold this year uh, me personally um, that, that's going to be the more interesting to watch because it's a lot of the same old same old in terms of the side wiffle and home run king and a lot of the other stuff uh, it's just the metrics will speak you know uh, the stolen bases thing <laughs> I don't know um, that's not really so much uh, uh, in terms of athleticism. It's just more of a chess game. Uh, your, your ghost man is <laughs> more uh, uh, of the all-star at that point. So uh, those are the three that I wanted to go over my predictions more than anything uh, at that point. Maybe uh, as we get further into the season, we'll have more of a awards watch discussion and things like that. But uh, that, that was all that I wanted to, to discuss as far as any predictions go. And I, with that, I'm really glad that we have no more hot stove to talk about uh i will remind there are two spots left on the hurricane locomotive squad if anybody out there uh that's 18 or older is looking uh for for a team to play on that's either played in our league in the past or not uh hit us up on facebook you can message us or if you know greg reach out to him and let him know that you're looking for a squad uh i believe that paul's team if you know paul he's looking for one more player uh as well other than that we have spring training coming up on april the 2nd and we may have one more session before the season starts but april the 29th at saquon commons at field number three which is in the far southwest corner i believe uh that is where we're going to be playing uh we don't have a time yet but that's going to be in april 29th i would say it's probably going to be around noon roughly uh, and then, uh, being that we're going to have four games, I'm assuming we're going to be there about four ish hours. So, more details as we get closer. But, uh, so excited that Wiffle Ball is finally back. And I guess you guys can watch baseball in the meantime. But, uh, we will probably not have any more episodes until the season actually starts. If you need, absolutely need to hear me in the meantime, I will be hosting the National Wiffle Podcast uh for the nwa and i don't know all your other wiffle needs uh on fridays in april so you can tune in there sam skeevy the Steffi's brothers and others will be there as well throughout the week but aside from that there's no other news to discuss for the huntington wiffle league or hot stove or otherwise signing off i've been your host josh smith see you